Hello, Maria Lopez Fernandez. You are here uh, today and tomorrow for our conference, Women in Partial Differential Equations. And in your lecture this morning, you were talking about problems uh, which occurred in the university building in Zurich. And I think this was really a nice motivation uh, for the difficult mathematics you presented afterwards. And that's why I would like you to uh, retell for the persons listening in, in our conversation today Uh, what kind of problems were there at the University of Zurich with the new building? Well, uh, the problem uh, were that uh, there were many reflections and then when someone was speaking in the atrium, people around could not uh, really understand clearly what the person was saying, even if he was uh, speaking at a loud uh, voice. It was really a, a bad acoustic, and at some point they they decided to fix this problem. They called some specialized engineers, and then these engineers decided to install some absorbing panels in strategical places, which I guess they know from experience. They have some experience, I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they, they really managed to, to improve the acoustics. So since I have been working in numerical methods for wave scattering pro problems uh, for some time, uh, I, I think it was a nice application to, to show. Huh? Yeah. Now the thing is, of course, um, if they um, rely on their experiences, they don't have experience with precisely that geometry. Of course, they have experiences with kind of similar geometries and the Either they, their ideas work or they, or they don't work. Exactly. Actually, <laughs> the original design money. was not good. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Especially yes, at the beginning, they probably have thought about that, maybe not hard enough, or they underestimated certain things. And so it would be nice to have that in the computer and to have a simulation uh, before really taking money into the hands of building things. Exactly. Mm, exactly. That would be that would be ideal. One can have a, a software which works very nicely, stable, fast, and one plugs some geometry or something and press a button, and a few minutes later you you can simulate the acoustic pressure or after a signal or whatever. No, but we are far from from this at the moment. Yes. <laughs> so maybe uh, how far from that are we? What are the problems and the challenges? Well, the, the, the computational cost is very high and uh, there are stability issues also for long time, especially for long time integrations or for when, when the time step gets small. There are no adaptive methods in time and space which are able to really um, locate potential singularities or Uh, areas where one would need more resolution. Or, so so at, for, I would say we are quite far. So there is quite a lot of research to do at the moment. So in principle, it's clear what kind of equation one would have to solve for that. And um, is this um, a linear or non-linear one? The equation is linear. <coughs> the, the, the reference model is linear. Of course, there are some non-linear models in the literature, but already for the linear Uh, models there are difficulties because uh, I mean computational cost and memory are the the most uh, so there are no parallel algorithms there are not adaptive uh, reliable adaptive techniques in time and space so there are still several things to to do so far the the theory for the spatial discretization is rather well understood but uh, the coupling with the time method is expensive. 
And if one wants to change the spatial grid from one time step to the next one, because some maybe realize that something more interesting is happening at a corner or something, this is very expensive. It's not really... Now we know how to do that, but most, most people still don't know it because this is a very new method. And of course, it is also necessary to establish some interaction with engineers, no? because they have the application, they have the real code, so... This is also this also takes some some time. Yeah. So in principle, what you were referring to is that if we have a complicated geometry and we have to um, have a very fine mesh because otherwise the calculation are with too much error, then we have in principle two things which we can do. One thing is we parallelize. So we distribute the computing cost um, to a lot of computers or a lot of kernels in one computer. Uh, in order to not to have to wait too long for the result, which in a way it's it's still the same uh, cost which we have, but we don't have to wait so long, which is okay with us as human beings. And the other possibility is that we change um, the way in where we spend the time, so that we change the net on which we compute, and so we refine it only where we see things are happening, and where we see that. It's not so many things happening or the gradients, which we very often have a look at, so how things change. Um, there we leave the grid in a broader uh, way and not to have so many grid points. And we call this adaptive um, grid. Yeah, and um, you were referring to the fact that if we consider the process in time, this would mean that from one time step to the next time step, we would like to change our grid to the um, to make it finer where something is happening and make it broader where nothing is happening and this is changing all the time. Yeah, this is uh, now theoretically possible, but so far the procedure to do this is very expensive, extremely computationally very expensive and about parallelization this is not possible at the moment to do because these equations are no locals so the problems we are dealing with are no local in space and time so the everything is connected to everything exactly. so we cannot really split the work because there has to be so much commu communication mm -hmm. which is kind of um, a thing which prevents us from making things parallel <coughs> yes um The, the costliness of doing this adaptation is disconnected to how to find out where to make the uh, grid finer or it is the costliness to really make new meshes all the time? In a space, there are ways to detect where one should refine or de-refine because there are a posteriori error estimates for the spatial discretization. The way... The, but then the... Um, The refinement and the refinement process makes things it is expensive to implement in practice. The recomputation of the matrices, which are full matrices, because with this uh, in this uh, problem we do not have sparse matrices; we have full matrices. From the time point of view, the situation is um, less developed. And there are no a posteriori error estimates, there are only a priori error estimates. So we have some theoretical error estimates saying how far our theoretical solution is from what we are computing, but there are several constants involved in these error estimates. So it's not clear how to use this in practice. And I have started myself to do some tests, implementing some, ad adapting 
some uh, techniques coming from the ODE uh, community to 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 this uh, setting. But to be honest, I, I got some surprises about the performance, so not what one would really expect. So one would expect that the steps refine at some point, and it does not, or the integration does not go on. Or, so it's not, and then there are also stability problems. One changes the step very rapidly uh, at some point, so one has to be careful with the stability is an issue in this, um, in this uh, problem. So. Uh, so one has to still some work to do. Yes, so in a way this is um, something which we try to teach our students from the very beginning that these types of um, partial differential equations, they have this inbuilt problem with stability and you have to always be really careful to choose the right numerical scheme which um, enhances stability at least a little bit or at least is not naive, you know, with respect to stability. But um, on, in a way, you can't really avoid problems with stability completely. Or yeah, one has to live with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so usually, you have like conditions that you have to make the time step uh, small enough. Or uh, okay, so what we have done so far. Until very few years ago, it was not even possible to change the step. So mm -hmm. there was no method to which were allow, was allowing to to change it. No one knew how to to do that. And time steps to change the step. Yeah. Just to even okay, say I start with a time step one, and at some point I just half it. So this was not possible. Okay, now we know how to do that. We know also that in some situations, if we have some knowledge about the behavior of the thing we are computing, we have some idea of how to prescribe a sequence of times, certain properties, graded sequences of time around certain times where some singular behavior occurs. But of course, what is, is what it is interesting is to to have some control of the error, which and, and a mechanism that dynamically says, okay, here is something, something is happening, we reduce the steps, here nothing interesting is happening, we increase it. And these mechanisms are, are giving trouble. The, the method is complicated, there are many ingredients coming to that. And uh, so far, this uh, control is not really working, at least with the technology that we have uh, at our hand. I think this stability, this stability is very much at the core of this problem because <clears throat> we are solving a wave problem, okay? We are computing acoustic, acoustic waves, pressure, yes. so it's an mm -hmm. hyperbolic equation. And the methods we are using through the boundary integral formulation and resorting to these special integral equations are based on a stable methods in time, which are originally designed to parabolic problems. So this is uh, not complete. So this is not a nonsense. So this the, the meaning. The mean. I mean, this is meaningful because this introduces numerical stability in the process. Okay. Yeah. But if there is so much stability, artificial stability introduced by the numerical approximation, then at some point, one might have travels to detect the features which are inherent to uh, hyperbolic equations, or reflections, uh, propagations of singularities, these kind of things.
So one has to find a kind of compromise and, of course, do some theory to understand how this, all these ingredients can be balanced. And then when it's time to program all these things and do testing and this kind of... Yeah. So what is the situation just now? What kind of um, results uh, can you produce with the um, kind of numerical model uh, you have implemented now? Okay, with the method, I have myself contributed, but not only myself, so I have worked with other people, of course. Uh, we have um, developed the simulation of the acoustic pressure in this building has been Zürich, done, yeah. mm -hmm. okay? It was possible to do it. And if you read, the, this was done by, not by myself, that it was an application of a method I helped to develop, but it was done by some other people. And uh, if you read this paper, they explicitly say, okay, we can uh, prescribe a time sequence. This seems to work, but of course it would be much more interesting to to have some control of the dynamics of what's going on. So they they are able to simulate something, it makes sense, but they they realize that there are not enough tools to to do what one would really like to, to do, eh? press a button. Put someone some simulation of someone speaking in the atrium, press some button, and 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 see in a few minutes how the acoustic pressure is uh, all around. No? Mm. Yes. Uh, so what they were doing, <coughs> they were kind of um, looking for a time sequence, also time step sequence, and then uh, just choosing one which worked, and they don't really know why. This was what I well, was kind they, of. They know how the source. Mm -hmm. They have special sources. They know how the source uh, behaves. Mm -hmm. So they know that the behavior will be more critical at the beginning, maybe. And then they, they do, they take a time sequence where times are closer, closer, when they are near zero, and then they increase or at other points. Huh? And then they see that this really makes sense, that the result makes sense. But there's no really, um, so there is also some heuristics in, in these uh, choices. Yes, because they know something about uh, the origin of the noise. Yeah, of and course. I one of the one of the persons yeah. in, involved in this in this uh, work is an engineer. So, so he's an engineer with a very strong mathematical background, but uh, he has some some heuristics also. In in he knows how to to do this. Yeah. So, what would be the next steps uh, you would like to take uh, with this? Um, problem I'm, I'm thinking about uh, this uh, adaptivity thing and uh, I would like to solve this I would like also to be able to uh, develop methods based on non-dissipative solvers trying to see if one is able to to improve things using uh, solvers for or for ODs which are conservative actually mm -hmm. And then I am also working with some other people on the on improving the the um, representation of all these boundary element matrices, uh, which are so dense. No, and we would like to see if it is possible to have a, a sparse approximations to these uh, to these matrices. In order to reduce to to reduce very much the complexity and the storage, which are the bottlenecks of uh, these methods. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, from the mathematical point, this makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, if I'm just listening in uh, kind of naively as a colleague doing PDEs but not waves, <coughs> um, in a, uh, since you put all the information on, on the boundary, um, is there really a lot of hope that uh, you wouldn't lose information if you kind of try to come from fully uh, so mattresses which have a lot of information stored to some uh, which have less information? I'm just, you know... Well, I think, uh, of course, the method we are developing will be not useful for every yeah. application, but I think for the applications uh, like the one I show, there not is still... Possible. Uh, okay. I think the, this can work, but of course, until one does not no, have no, no, any no. theorem just... and the code, uh, <laughs> there's no guarantees that... Uh, Yeah, well, there are some recent progress on the representation of these Helmholtz operator yeah. with high uh, frequencies, and um, I think these are these are doable things now, but, but they they need to be done. Yes, as of course with um, giving this this word frequency frequencies, this is also a possibility to kind of scale things. So you have some things which are really very present, and others with different frequencies which are not that present and might not be that important in the, in the process. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, but then, of course, one needs to derive error estimates and see yeah, yeah. where to cut, if it, if it is really possible to cut at some point. Yeah. Of course, uh, when I was listening to your uh, lecture today, especially with this um, problem with noise, which kind of everybody knows, I was really intrigued um, about the mathematics and the application. Uh, where was the point when you got interested in these kinds of problems? Well, uh, you know, when I started my PhD, I didn't choose the topic myself. I started to to work on semi-group theory and uh, the approximation of convolution. So I did my PhD with a, under the joint supervision of a Spanish professor, Cesar Palencia, and Christian Lubick, who is in Tübingen. And I already started to, to work with the convolution quadrature. But the setting of, the, of, of, the set of application was completely different. We were looking at parabolic problems or two problems with a fractional diffusion. So this is something we also looked at. And uh, then I finished the PhD, I moved for the postdoc, I was doing something different, and then at some point I realized that there was an interest in CQ for, for hyperbolic equations. Then, then, then this uh, uh, peak of uh, people working on the topic came, and, and then uh, I, f I found it was interesting, and of course uh, it was interesting to see whether... Uh, some of the things I had done before for parabolic problem had some chance to work in, in the hyperbolic, hyperbolic. setting. Mm. And then I met uh, Stefan Sauter in a workshop in Switzerland just by chance. I saw a talk of him and then I went to speak with him after his talk and then he invited me for a visit to Zurich and then Actually, we started to. Uh, actually, when I, I visited him for one week, and and then I, was, I, was, I thought that was a very interesting area of development. He he already wa he already was interested in developing adaptive uh, methods for this. And it turned out that during my visit, they had an open lectureship, 
And then uh, I was a postdoc at the time in Madrid. I decided to apply. And then I moved there. I got this lectureship. And then we decided, we, we were working on, on this topic, which was a, a natural uh, continuation of my PhD. After a few years, when I had not worked on, on, on this. Mm. And is it very different if you change from kind of the cultural system of ma doing mathematics in Madrid uh, to the, so to say, German-speaking part of Europe? Well, not really. I, well, it was very nice to work in Switzerland because the working conditions were perfect. We have a secretary. <laughs> <laughs> We have a technical support. If something is broken, someone else will take care. It was wonderful. And then um, we had also research funds uh, without problems to attend conferences and invite people. So from this point of view, it was paradise. And from the work uh, itself point of view, I think we do the same work everywhere. Huh? No, We are doing research, so the, the work is the same. We study, we study, we discuss, we try to write papers, and we have to do teaching, we do teaching, but... The job is, is always the same. So we work with different peoples about slightly different problems, or different, but then the, the nature of what we do is the same, I think. Like a singer or a, an artist, no? <laughs> yes, in a way, I, I'm always also speaking about this aspect of our uh, working life that we kind <clears throat> of can go almost everywhere we find a colleague who's interested in the same stuff and it doesn't really matter any longer where we are okay. yeah on the other hand um, I always feel a little bit different if I'm for example going to Italy because I have a long-standing collaboration with, with a colleague there because I mm. really feel the difference that there are more women colleagues ah, in Italy there are many it's true, yeah. yeah and um It, uh, it really shifts kind of the atmosphere, even if, you know, the scientific discussions are scientific discussions. But um, to have um, female companionship kind of makes things a little bit different or more welcoming even, I would say, than, than for example, here in Karlsruhe, we are not so many um, women, especially in my age group. Mm -hmm. And... Um, You take this to be the, the usual situation, so it's not some, not some hardship. But when you go somewhere else and see some more women, so like now with our conference, some more women, it's really like a nice situation. And so I'm always asking around if other persons have the same experience. Uh, the point is that it's true that when I moved to Sweden, there are not, not well, there was actually there is only one female professor in the, in the Institute of Mathematics mm. in Zurich. But in the group of uh, numerical analysis, in the group of Stefan Sauter, mm. who was the professor I was working with, there were several several female uh, PhD and postdocs. Huh? So I was having lunch often with them, and in the seminars they yeah. were there. So it, it was not uh, it was not that I was giving a talk and I only had uh, male faces in the audience. Although it is true that I have never written a paper with a woman. This is true. I have never collaborated with a... Well, I, have, I had discussions, but I never uh, wrote papers with a woman, which is... Uh, now that I think about that, it's a bit unnatural, no? 
<laughs> yes, but it's always that you you know you just continue and continue, and only by looking with a certain distance you think that this is not really natural. Yes. <laughs> All this uh, should be differently. Yes, I have a paper with two of my female colleagues <clears throat> from uh, Ferrar, and uh, since we also considered this to be special, we are never really calling it by what it's about. But it's always the three women paper. <laughs> ah, so you are three ladies. Yeah, three uh, so ladies. Ah, this is very unusual in mathematics, yeah. I think. But okay, if you work in Italy, I think the chances increase because there are so many women doing math. Mm. Yes. And um, what was the idea you had about mathematics when you started to study mathematics? Uh, at the university already? or, or Yeah, before you started university. I always liked it, and I was uh, rather gifted in school and in high school, so I was getting always good marks. My father was a teacher of mathematics mm -hmm. in a high school or gymnasium, you mm -hmm. call it here. Uh, I, I have to say that it, it, I was not 100% sure about what I wanted to do when I was 17, so I had some doubts between mathematics, physics, uh, engineering, uh, and at the end I decided for math, and I think it was a good decision. Mm -hmm. um, with the students here, we very often have this um the experience which they tell us about and which we also remember from our time when we started university, that of course they have a lot of experience with what is called mathematics at school when they come here and they see that it's kind of a completely different story. So in a way, even when they start to repeat things which they know from school, but of course we just repeat them in order to have an abstract frame uh, in which we <coughs> want to work further on, um, they really have a, a kind of a shock so like in the wave equation possible, uh, the, a shock what mathematics is really about. And then the next shock is um, to see that there are so many fields which are inside mathematics where they from, can choose from later on, um, which they had no idea about. And um, did you have a, a kind of a similar experience or just... Well, I had some uh, help at home with my father. There, there were books at mm -hmm. home yeah. of uh, advanced math, and I was not really shocked when I entered at university. To be honest, I uh, when I studied, uh, the high school system in Spain was quite demanding. Mm -hmm. So I found harder the last year of the gymnasium than the first year at university. I had much, much many more things to do, and... Uh, The first year of math I found, I, I, it was a bit frightening, but psychologically, you know, because you had all these students with hanging, with the calculus one hanging for four or five years, and they were never able to pass. And then, of course, the first time I was facing the examination, I was very worried about that. But then, uh, but from the content, from the lecture's point of view, so I, I was fine with it. Mm. Um, when thinking back, uh, would you have some step which you would have liked to have done differently? Yes. Because there are so many big and small steps which one takes and then only afterwards you see uh, the results of them. Yeah, yes, I, uh, I have regretted several times. 
not uh, of not having look for a postdoc abroad right after the PhD. So I moved to Madrid. I didn't want to leave Spain, uh, and I think it was a, it was a mistake. And I, I think I could have done a better choice at that, at that point. But okay, at the end, it, it also brought good things to to me and to the career. But uh, I thought several times about that. Mm. And also by choosing to work in Rome just now, you stick with your decision to work outside Spain. <laughs> yeah, okay, but here there are some other. Uh, Uh, reasons mm -hmm. involved. I, in particular, I uh, I have family reasons because my partner and the father of my daughter is an Italian professor, and we spent several years uh, living at different countries. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I got the possibility to to move there, and also the position I got in Italy, I, I think, is rather good. Mm -hmm. So it's rather good. So. Yeah, from the stability point of view, it's better than what I had in Spain. And it's a good university, so I speak Italian so far. So, yeah, okay, but it's not an. I mean, one, one thing is to, to, to spend two, three years abroad, and another very different thing is to consider the to possibility stay. of living forever yeah, outside to make your it country. Your home, yes. yeah. And I miss a lot my own country, so this is uh, after, so yeah, I, I miss it. This is a hard decision to make, at least for me. I think, yeah. It's, it's not a special case. Because there are always things which are near to the heart and um, are kind of a set of normality which everybody needs around. Mm. While the cultural yeah. references are very important. Yeah. So thank you very much <clears throat> that you took the time and the tight schedule of our nice conference here to speak about um, your mathematics and your experiences. And I hope you enjoy uh, the, next, the second day of our conference tomorrow. We haven't finished yet. <laughs> yes, Today. we haven't finished yet, it's true. <laughs> Thank you.